I'm glad to be here. I'm Joe Pasquich. I was, uh, by the way, I uh, I love your church. I've, I've been I've been to your church before. I've been to uh, you know events with you guys before. I just I just love your church. I'm glad to I'm glad to be here in a virtual COVID kind of a way. <laughs> uh, had a great time at the at the men's retreat. I did get my test, and uh, here's what it says. It says test not processed. Your test specimen was unable to be processed. Your COVID-19 test could not be processed. <laughs> so there it is. Uh, I got one about 10 days ago in Connecticut. And then uh, I tried, what day was it? Was it Friday, I guess? I went to go to one, one of the two-hour ones up in Massachusetts. And that... Uh, that didn't work. So I went to the other one in the long, the long snake line of cars in back of the high school. And uh, man, I don't know why she couldn't process it because she was uh, she was working hard on that. But uh, there it is. <laughs> so I'm here at Steve's house, but I'm I'm happy to be here. I'm happy that we're together. I'm happy that we're together this way anyway. We can be together. So we're going to be looking at First Peter. Uh, chapter 3. So if you can find your Bible or your phone and get us over there to chapter 3 in First Peter, we're going to look at a scripture and then we're going to try to build the context for that scripture. Because every scripture has a context, right? And the context for the scripture is usually the paragraph that it's in. Uh, oh, I need to explain to you my hair. Um, <clears throat> I haven't cut my hair since COVID. And the time I would usually get it cut, I made a joke to the congregation and I said, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to get my hair cut until after COVID. And week after week, it would get longer and longer and we would joke about it, make a laugh about it. <laughs> and uh, now I think I've backed myself into a corner because I've said I'm going to do it. But this is the timeline. We've been in this. We've been in this for quite a while. We've been in it for a long time. So I don't really like the way it looks. So if you have some stylish ideas, you could maybe send them to me and tell me what you would do if this was on your head. But I think we're going to go the distance and just kind of wear it to remind us of where we are and what's going on because I think it applies to this scripture as well. Where we are, what's going on. It says in the Old Testament, the sons of Ishakar knew what to do because they understood the times, knew what, they, what to do because they understood the times. And so this reminds me that we're in a strange and unusual time. What do we do and how do we do it? So back to the context, every scripture has a context, usually the paragraph, but the context of the paragraph is the chapter. Uh, but the context of the chapter is the book. But the context of the book is the history, the time and place and what's going on around the writing of the book. So we're going to look at the context of this scripture in a moment. And I think it applies very much to what we're experiencing right now. Although the circumstances are a little bit different, I think the principles are the same. So chapter three of Peter Verse 15 is what we're looking at. Some people know this scripture. It says, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense. And some of you reading a different translation than me, there'd be a different word there. Be ready to give a defense for everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you, but do it with meekness and fear. What should be our approach to people when we're talking about questions, biblical questions, questions about God? Well, we should do it in meekness and fear and with a good conscience it, that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ might be ashamed. For it's better if, it, if to do the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. So this is kind of interesting, this verse, because apologists use this, uh, apologetics. I don't know if you know what apologetics is or not. It comes from this word defense. Some of your Bibles will say answer. 
the, the Greek word is apologia, apologia. And so we get apologetics and people who do apologetics uh, are apologists. They're defending the faith. Like in what ways? Um, they're defending the resurrection of the dead. You believe Jesus rose from the dead and you, you have some answers. You have some ways to present them. Yes, you know, I believe Jesus rose from the dead. You believe Jesus was born a virgin? Yes, you know why? Uh, for this reason. You really believe the Bible is the word of God? Yes, for these reasons. You think God created the earth? Yes, I do, for these reasons. Well, how did he do it? When did he do it? All of those things are apologetics, giving a defense for the faith. However, I think in the context of this passage, although I'm, I'm an apologist, I've been for many years, probably a couple decades now, I've been a member of what's called um, Evangelical Ministries to New Religions. And they do apologetics conferences and they produce materials and, you know, respond to things that are things that are going on, defending the faith. And so we use this scripture as kind of a core, a basis for that ministry. We're defending the faith. But I think it has a little bit of a different meaning. And here in COVID, I think that it takes on maybe the meaning it did for Peter, and that's that in the midst of all of this craziness, in the midst of everything that we're involved with right now, we're to be giving people a reason for the hope that we have, a reason for the hope that we have. Uh, in the earlier service, you know, Steve had summarized a little bit about what we talked about, and he explained it as when everybody is, has a frenzied face we don't. We don't because we have, uh, we have, uh, Steve is calling me. I'm going to, I'm going to try to talk to him here. Hello, Steve. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I'm talking, to, uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Want to talk to Gary? So uh, there you go. This is what, this is what happens. <laughs> So anyway, where were we? Apologists, the hope that is in us, the hope that is in us. We want to be able to give a reason for the hope that is in us. And here's my experience. It may not be your experience in the Boston area, but it's my experience in Connecticut and it's my experience in my concentric circles of relationship. Because there's a lot going on right now, right? There's a lot going on around us. There's the whole red, blue, divide, right, left. Uh, we won't say the names because it just gets, I don't want to say the names in church. It just distracts us. But we have all of that going on. We have all of the civil unrest going on. We have people divided about everything. People divided about masks. Um, should, you, should you wear a mask? Um, what, what kind of mask should you wear? And when should you wear it? And should you obey? Should you not obey? Should you listen to the government? Not listen to the government? All of this stuff, all of this stuff. And then all of the civil unrest, the, the racism, all of the stuff that's happening around us is all crowding in on us. And for me, doesn't need to be for you, but for me, I find that with Christian people as well as non-Christian people, that almost every conversation begins now we're talking about COVID, right? It's been a while. Talking about COVID, uh, talking about elections, talking about division, talking about all of these things. And even with Christian people, it seems like many of my conversations never really get to fellowshipping about, around the scriptures or fellowshipping around Christ and glorifying Jesus. And so we need to be a little bit careful. There's no new thing under the sun. I think we're experiencing a trial and a test to see how we're going to make it through, but there's also great opportunity. What's the great opportunity? Well, I read a study yesterday. It was, it was a Harvard study published by a group called FEE. I don't know who they are, F-E-E.org. I don't know who in the world they are. But this study was about, I think it was 18-year-old to 26-year-olds that 50% of them are experiencing the mild to severe symptoms of depression. 18 to 26, since COVID, are experiencing mild to severe symptoms of depression. Uh, also, right now, the industries that are surviving are liquor stores, doing great. Uh, wine, beer, off the charts. Hard liquor, off the charts. 
awful lot of drug overdoses right now, you know, a lot of depression, a lot of suicides. And so um, we're living in a time where people are without hope. I've had a couple of conversations in the last few weeks where people, just random conversations with people that yeah, I don't know who they are. And they're, they're saying, you know, isn't everybody looking for God right now? Well, I think maybe they are. But Christian people, as well as everybody else, we're all covered with all of the rest of this stuff. And our conversations, our talk is all about this. We have the answer. We have hope. Be ready to give an answer to everyone for the hope that is in you. And instead of necessarily talking about the hope that is in us, a lot of times what we're doing is just throwing our opinions out there on the table. And you know what that's worth? It's just worth another opinion. Somebody else has that opinion and then somebody doesn't agree with that opinion. And so you put that on the table at a time when people need hope, 50%, 18 to 26-year-olds experiencing either mild or severe symptoms of depression during COVID and because of COVID. So be ready to give an answer. Be ready to give a defense for the reason, give a reason for the hope that is in you. We have a hope. But if we're all tied up in everything else, nobody's going to see us as any different than any, anybody else. We're just somebody with an opinion and a strong opinion about all of these things that are going on around us. So I want to try to build the context here and see if Peter can't tell us a little bit about how we should be acting in this time. I heard this at the men's retreat a couple of times. And, and I heard the phrase that, that we're living in uh, confusing and divisive times. We are. I'm going to take that phrase and use it quite a bit. We're living in confusing and divisive times. But we have hope. We have hope. We have the answer. So what are we going to do? What are we going to be like? Are we going to be like the sons of Ishakar who understood the times and they knew what to do or, or not? So um, let's... Um, <clears throat> Let's move on here. Let's go to let's go to the first chapter of Peter and try to get the context here for what it is that we're doing. So here's the context. It starts with chapter one, verse one. And it says, Peter, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Um, these guys keep calling me. You guys keep calling me. I don't know what's going on. I'm going to try to find out. <laughs> this is what happens with technology. Hold on. Hello? Hello? Steve? <laughs> Why do they keep calling me? I'm not going to answer anymore. Call, uh, call Ben. <laughs> Can you put it up? Do not I'm not going to worry about it right now. So sorry about that. But that's what happens. And these are, So maybe this is just an example. This is... This is what happens, the confusion that we're trying to adjust, we're trying to do things, we're trying to be the body of Christ, we're trying to be church in the midst of all of this confusion, but we're going to make it through. We're going to be like the sons of Ishakar. So here we are, chapter one, verse one. It says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Okay. To the pilgrims that have been dispersed in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia. <laughs> we talked about Capo to see at the men's retreat. And I said, that sounds like a dessert to me, something you'd, you'd order after your meal. Oh, well, I'll have the, I'll have the Capo to see Asia, the elect, according to the foreknowledge of God, the father in sanctification of the spirit for the obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace be multiplied. Grace to you and peace be multiplied. Here's the context. The context is that in Peter's day, some people think Peter's writing from Babylon. The, the last verse of First Peter gives maybe some indication that maybe he's there or he's been there. But, you know, he'd come from uh, Jerusalem. But in Peter's day, they were living under increasing hostility, increasing suspicion, and increasing rejection as Christians was happening in the culture around them, the time around them, increasing hostility, increasing suspicion and rejection. They're living under Caesar Nero and persecution is increasing. Of course, what the emperors, the Roman emperors were doing, 
was they were assigning to themselves divinity. And so they wanted to be Lord. They wanted to be king and they wanted to be Lord. And when the Christians would say that Jesus is Lord, it was an offense to the emperors because the emperor is the Lord. You don't call Jesus Lord, you call the emperor's Lord. You, you call the emperor's king, you don't call Jesus king. Now they made some concessions because there's so many people with idolatry and all of these other things that they worship. And if you had some other God plus Caesar, but put Caesar at the top, they're sort of okay with that. They're gonna give you too much grief. But if you put Jesus at the top, Jesus is Lord, you're going to start experiencing the persecution of Rome. So they had already, Peter's day, they had already begun to experience persecution from their own countrymen and their own families. They had already begun to experience religious persecution from their own people, their, their own family, their own synagogues were persecuting them. So they were experiencing the religious persecution, and some of that was very violent. Uh, some of it, when you look at the Apostle Paul, some of it resulted in death, and Rome would just look the other way. But now they're beginning to experience persecution officially from the government. So they're living in a very difficult time with a lot of pressure around them. And I would imagine that the conversations that you would have if you were a Christian or even living in Rome in the day, when you'd bump into somebody and you'd begin to talk, you'd probably begin to talk about Nero. Why would you talk about Nero? Well, because persecution is becoming a, a policy. And later on, when... When Rome burns, when uh, Rome burns, Nero blames the Christians. It was the environment of Peter and the environment of the first century Christians, the environment of the early Christians. When Rome is burnt, Nero blames the Christians. Now, a lot of people to talk on the street was that Nero, Nero burned Rome. You know, people figure things out, don't they? They, they figure things out. There's the official line. There's the things that people are saying. And then there's people figuring things out. And so the fire in Rome, when that happened, uh, it destroyed 14 districts in Rome, damaged seven others. And uh, some people think that Nero set the fire so that he could implement this new urban renewal plan, maybe make way for more policies, more building projects, whatever. But the Christians are experiencing real difficulty and they're fleeing their cities and going to other cities. But when they get to those cities, they're experiencing the same thing. So where do you go? Where do you run to? And what kind of person are you going to be? And are you just going to talk about Nero and the persecution and the difficulty and what's the government doing right now? And do, you, you know, do we submit to the government? Do we disobey the government? At what point do we do that? You know, what do we do? Well, we have hope. We have hope. And so the Christians in, in, in the days of Rome, as it began to get worse, they were charged with hating the human race, that Christians hate people. They hate people. And so this was what, we, what they were known as. Peter is writing to Christians in an environment of increasing hostility to a rising tide of, in, in a rising tide of wickedness. Increasing hostility towards the Christians but at the same time, there's a rising tide of wickedness. There's no place to run. There's no place to go. Uh, the worst thing that could happen to the early Christians was death. Was death. But they've resolved to that. Death's not the end. The grave can't hold us. Now, they don't want to die, but everybody's going to die. Uh, we said in an earlier service, there's an old blues song that says, everyone wants to go to heaven, nobody wants to die. <laughs> sure, everyone wants to go to heaven, nobody wants to die. Who wants to die? I don't want to die, especially die some difficult way, but we will all die. And, and the worst thing that can happen to the Christian is death. And they've settled that. They know that. They know that death is looming over them, not because of natural causes or things like that, but because they might die because of Rome. Rome might just break down their door and bring them in and persecute them and kill them. But the grave can't hold us. We don't need to be afraid of the grave. When Peter says the hope that you have within you, he's talking about the resurrection, the hope that we have, the grave can't hold us. Now, the local conditions of Rome, the wickedness in Rome, 
we're beginning to see the same level of wickedness, but not on a local level, but globally, globally. The things that are happening, the wickedness that's growing, the, the wicked tide that's rising is global. And here's what we need to understand if we're going to be like the sons of Ishakar and be able to give an answer, defense for the hope that's in us to everyone who asks. Jesus said, because of the increase of wickedness, said this in Matthew 24, you can go read it. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. The word love there is agape love, that unconditional kind of love. And as wickedness rises, as there's a global rising tide of wickedness, you get immune to certain things and accept certain things. And as that wickedness grows and the tide grows higher, love diminishes. Love diminishes. Christians have a great opportunity right now in the midst of this confusing and divisive time with all of those things that we talked about before, all of these controversies coming at us at the same time. We have the opportunity to display and distribute love, display and distribute love. There's not a lot of love out there. There's not a lot of hope out there. But for me, in my circles working outward, it seems like the concentration of everything has to do with these kinds of things, masks and lockdowns and elections and divisions and, and where our focus needs to be the hope that's in us and spreading that hope. I wore a hoodie to the men's retreat the first night and it says neighborhood dope dealer, but over the D it had a red H, hope dealer. And that's what we need to be, distributing hope all over the place, starting with our neighborhoods, starting in our own home, and then starting in our neighborhoods and working our circles out, you know, where we work, where we go to school, where we associate. Hope dealers. And being ready to give a defense and an answer to everyone for the hope that is in us. You see, when Peter's writing this, neighbors... Other people were probably asking him, you know, why would you, why would you die for this thing? You know, your own relatives have persecuted you. You've left Jerusalem because you're being persecuted there. You run to another town, maybe Babylon or wherever Peter is when he's writing this. And now you're here and you're being persecuted by Rome. Why don't you just stop? Why don't you just drop the Jesus thing? Just drop it and you'll have none of this trouble. You can go back to your family, be reconciled to your family. You can be reconciled to your synagogue. Is Caesar's going to leave you alone? Well, we can't. And if we suffer death, then we suffer death. And they needed to be ready to tell people why they were willing to die for this, why they were willing to give up their life, why they were willing to give up everything they had for this. Let's read on a little bit more. We'll read the passage we just read again uh, to the pilgrims. And then in verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope, a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. What's our hope? Our hope is the resurrection. The previous verse, what's our posture? Well, our posture is we're the recipients of grace and peace is multiplied to us. You know, that word peace is an interesting peace. It doesn't mean that we are exempt from heaven. It doesn't mean that we are exempt from confusion. It doesn't mean that we are exempt from difficulty, but it means that we have a tranquil state of our soul in the midst of that. So that when we're in the midst of that and people say, why? Why do you have so much peace? Why are you willing to die for this? It's the resurrection of the dead. We have this promise. And in the midst of COVID, we have some promises. Not only the promise of the resurrection from the dead, but the promise that he will give us peace in the midst of this. That we don't need to be all frantic. We don't need to be all freaked out. We don't need to be all afraid. But if we're doing what everybody else is doing, just throwing our opinions on the table and then arguing about our opinions and then trying to defend them, then we're not any different than anybody else. We have nothing to offer. You see, when you have this peace, 
you fear nothing. There's nothing to fear. Uh, when you have this peace, you're content with your earthly lot, content with what you have. It says that we're pilgrims in verse 2. I'm sorry, in verse 1. We're pilgrims. What's that mean? It means that we're sojourners, we're travelers. We're just passing through. This place is not our home. Now, I want to say this when I say something like that. This place is not our home. Listen, I have a, I think I have what's a relatively nice home. Uh, I have a stone fireplace. I've had um, three fires in there already this year. Probably we'll do another one tonight. It's a little chilly. Uh, the first fires that we did, we did because we're just cheap and we didn't want to use the, <laughs> the heating oil. But, you know, we like to sit around a fire. We have a house with a fireplace. We have a, we have a house with a relatively large deck. We have enough room in our house to entertain other people. Uh, my life has been, I think, a blessed life. And God has allowed me to... You know, travel the world and be with other people and you know, be a blessing to see a lot of things. I've been a tourist in a lot of places, and I'm thankful for that. But this place is not my home. It's not my home. I'm just passing through. And these guys understood that because they're losing everything. These guys are losing house and home and heritage, all of that. They're leaving it behind as they're running from one town to another town. And when they get to the next town, they discover it's just the same thing there. So we're passing through, but this is not our eternal home. It says in the book of Hebrews that those who were looking in faith like Abraham, he was looking for a city whose maker and builder is God who's maker and builder's God. We're looking for another city. And, you know, you might have a blessed life here, but that could change immediately. It's not where our hope is. It's not where our hope is. It might be some of our blessings, but it's not where our hope is. Let's read on a little more. The context of the verse we looked at, because we're supposed to be hope brokers. We're supposed to be hope dealers, giving hope to those 18 to 25-year-olds who are experiencing depression. Suicide is up. Drug uh, overdoses are up. Alcohol sales are up. What's going on? We have hope. And this is our time to be dispensing that hope. Verses three through five. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of the dead. Watch. To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. So maybe we could call this, if we were to call this sermon a name, we could call it how to live all the way to the end. The end of your life or when Jesus returns, whichever comes first living this out for the rest of our life in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the difficulty, in the midst of the confusion, in the midst of the division. We're people with hope and we're people who display hope and we're people who distribute love. Well, love is going to be hard to find. Where are you going to find it? We're the people who love everybody. That's our role. We love everybody. So let's uh, talk about this a minute, these verses here. Uh, protected by God. You can't touch this. You can't touch it. An inheritance, which it talks about here, we have an inheritance. An inheritance is received. It's the promise of eternal life. The inheritance that we have. Now we have an inheritance on earth as well, but we have the inheritance of eternal life. It's a great thing to receive an inheritance. And some of us have received an inheritance. Some of us are going to leave an inheritance. But in order for there to be an inheritance, somebody has to give it to you. Somebody has to give it to you. And you can't really earn an inheritance. You, there's no inheritance.com where you can go on there and apply for an inheritance. Oh, I would like to get an inheritance. No, it doesn't work that way. Somebody gives it to you. It's not something you earn. We didn't earn the inheritance that God has for us, but he has an inheritance for us. And what can you say about this inheritance? It's different than an earthly inheritance. Earthly inheritance is good. 
But this inheritance is incorruptible. So what this says is incorruptible. We have an inheritance that's incorruptible. Nothing can stop it. Not Caesar, not height, not depth, nor uh, things present, nor things to come, not angels, not demons, not life, not death. Nothing. Nothing can corrupt it. It's not liable to decay. It's not uh, liable to being morally defiled. It's undefiled. There's no deformity in it. It's pure. It's unsoiled. And it doesn't fade away. You you inherited a car. I inherited a car a few years ago. I was surprised that I inherited it. Somebody called me up and said, you know, you just inherited this car. And he said, my mom wanted to have this car. It's a great car. Uh, I still have it. Uh, that was seven years ago. It's, um, it's fading away. <laughs> it's a great car. I mean, it was, you know, it was, it was, she bought a nice car. It was loaded. Um, fades away. This, this inheritance that we have doesn't fade away. And watch what it says, that it's kept. It's reserved for you. God is carefully attending to your inheritance. He is taking care of it. He is guarding your inheritance. He guards your inheritance of eternal life. Let me say this. God is watching over and guarding your inheritance of eternal life, but there's no guarantee that anybody can guard or protect your property, your possessions, or your profession. Nobody can guard that for you, no matter what they tell you, no matter how much insurance you pay. Nobody can guarantee you that they're going to be able to watch over that stuff. And if it's gone, replace it all as it was, because they can't. But God is guarding our eternal inheritance. And God might choose to bless you with material prosperity, or he may not. You see, uh, the Bible, the Bible has a lot of those rags to riches stories, right? Where, you know, you find these people who are nobodies and all of a sudden there's somebodies and we're talking about them 2,000 years later. And if you hear Christian testimonies, you hear a lot of those, right? The rags to riches, this particular person, their life had completely fallen apart and now Here's their life, and they have a home, and they have family, and wonderful things are going on with them, and you have this great rags-to-riches story. But you know, there's just as many stories in the Bible that are riches-to-rags stories. That was the story of the Apostle Paul. He was a guy who had everything. He had power. He had influence. He had, he had wealth. He had the finest education. He hobnobbed with all of the important people. And you find him in the book of Acts. He's holding on to a board in the Mediterranean uh, with nothing. He lost it all because of the gospel. And it doesn't seem like he ever, he ever got it back. He ends up at the end of the book of Acts in jail waiting to be executed. But he's got everything. He's got everything. He has an eternal inheritance that can't be taken away. And so that's the hope. That's what we have, the hope of eternal life and of God being in our life, giving us peace, multiplied peace in the midst of COVID, multiplied peace in the midst of all of this election havoc, multiplied peace in the midst of all of this division, multiplied peace in the midst of all of the confusion and all of the hatred. And we have multiplied peace and we are hope dealers and we distribute love. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Be ready to give an answer to everyone for the hope that's in you. When they ask you, why are they going to ask you? You see, the rags to the, the, the riches to rag stories are in there, but God preserved their souls. God preserved their souls. Kept, kept by the power of God. That word means to guard like by military might to, to prevent hostile invasion always watching over it. What's the guarantee of our inheritance? The resurrection from the dead. The resurrection from the dead. Paul said this is the gospel, that Jesus came according to the scriptures. He died, he was buried, and he rose again, and he's coming back again. 
And before he comes back, he's populating the church. That's what we're participating in right now. We're populating heaven. The hope that's in us. And there might be somebody that needs that hope that you have. But it's all of this stuff is fighting for our attention, fighting for our conversation, fighting for our time. The hope. The hope. The resurrection. Because he rose, we also will rise. Here's how it works. That Jesus exited the grave. And because he exited the grave, he's guaranteeing your exit and my exit. I'll exit the grave because Jesus did. So I'm in him. Here's the cool part. God doesn't never just stop there. He's <laughs> never... You know, you find something about God and go, well, he's, he's stopped there. That's where, that's where God stopped. Listen, he doesn't stop with just guaranteeing our exit, guaranteeing that he'll pull us safely over to the other side. Not only does he guarantee our exit, but he also guarantees our entrance, guarantees our entrance into eternal life. You see, we've got reservations. It's going to happen for us. The hope that is in us and be ready to give an answer, be ready to give a reason. Why do you have hope? Why in the midst of all of this COVID stuff when everybody's going nuts, when everybody's depressed, when everybody's drinking, people are killing themselves, people are, what's, what's the score with you? Hey, listen, I have peace. I have peace. You can lose your job, you can lose everything. You can lose your home like these guys, run from one city to the next city, and you can have peace. And when somebody asks you, why? Why are you leaving one city to run to the other city? Why won't you just say Caesar is Lord? Oh, man, I can't. I can't and I won't. Can't and I won't. I have something more valuable than all of this. As good as all of that is, I have something way more valuable. Kept, reserved. Some of the translations will say that, reserved for you. We have, we have reservations. <laughs> and uh, verse 3 Here's Peter, right? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's blessing God in the midst of the trials. This whole book is about trials. It's about people who have been scattered. It's about people who are experiencing severe trials. Trials to the death. And yet we're blessing, we're praising God. Worshiping him in the midst of all of this. See, I think a lot of this COVID, who knows, who knows when I told people, you know, I tell the congregation, I'm not going to cut my hair until this is over. You know, it was a big joke week after week. Hey, look at that. Well, look at it now. And, and now people are saying, you're really going to do that? You're really going to do that? How long is that going to get? I don't know how long that's going to get. But there's the timeline. There's the timeline, what we're in. And while we're in the midst of an opportunity, and we are, we are in the midst of maybe one of the greatest opportunities that's existed in, I don't know, decades and decades is a great opportunity in front of us because of the state of people's souls. But also because we're all about bringing people in, but God's all about working in our lives. We're in the midst of a pretty serious trial. And we need to ask how are we going to do in the trial? I like to say about parenting, I say this almost any time that I have an opportunity to speak about parenting say it's not really fair with parenting when the children are grown to ask, how did the children turn out? You also want to ask, how did the parents turn out? How did the parents turn out, out of, after this uh, 25 years, maybe 30 years of raising and children of various ages? How'd you turn out? How's your marriage at, at the end of this? How's your life at the end of this? How's your spiritual life at the end of this? How do you do? You know, how do you, how do you function? How do you pass the trial? What's going to happen with COVID? How are we going to pass when we look back? You know, are we going to see that we just wasted a lot of time on opinions and arguments? I don't know how it's working for you, but um, a lot of my friends, a lot of people I'm around are severing relationships over some stuff that, I think in some years, they're going to regret that they broke relationships over these things and all of the things that we mentioned. And I don't want to mention them again because I think it's just a distraction. 
But we have a great opportunity in front of us. I'm going to read one more scripture out of Peter. If we would have gone all the way to the end, I would have liked to have gone through the whole book because it's all about how do you respond in the midst of suffering? How do you respond in the midst of difficulty? And in uh, chapter 4, verse 12, he says, Beloved, that's you. You are loved by God. I love to tell people that. You're loved by God. It's you. Beloved, don't think it's a strange thing concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you. Being tried. As though some strange thing happened to you. So on the one hand, you have this great opportunity telling people about the hope that's in us, that we have peace, we're going to make it through, we have love, we have enough love for everybody. But there's a trial going on. It's God's getting stuff out of our life. I see trials sometimes as like a tube of toothpaste, and our life is like a tube of toothpaste, and the trial comes and God starts getting that toothpaste out of there. <laughs> it just squirting it out, getting it out of our lives, making us more like him. You know, one of the illustrations I like to use with God working in our life is of a sculptor who he's sculpting a horse out of a rock, one piece of rock. And somebody said to him, how do you do that? Make a horse out of one piece of rock. And he said, I just get rid of everything. It doesn't look like a, it looks like a horse. <laughs> And so God's getting rid of everything that doesn't look like him. And it's like that toothpaste. He's just getting it. And I don't know how you are with a, with a tube of toothpaste, but uh, when there's no more tooth in, toothpaste in that tube, I, I, can, I can get six to 12 brushes out of it. I have mastered the art of finding that there's still toothpaste in there. <laughs> and I can squeeze that out of there. And God is bringing us through these trials to squeeze all of that stuff out of there until what's left, just Jesus. Faith, hope, and love. Faith, hope, and love. In the midst of COVID, who are we? We're the people of faith, hope, and love. In the midst of all of this, you know, the election chaos is just going to turn into, you know, red-blue chaos. How long is it going to go on? Who are we in the midst of that? We are the people of faith, hope, and love. In the midst of all of the hatred, in the midst of all of the confusion, in the midst of all of the division, in the midst of all of the inequality, who are we? We are the people of faith, hope, and love. Faith, hope, and love. You know, I think that there's something for us here in the midst of COVID, something for us in the, in the midst of the situation we're in right now. And I think the warning, if, you know, I'm not a prophet, I, I teach more than, you know, be a prophet, but if I was a prophet, I'd say be really careful about getting caught up in this stuff. You know, your church, I'm telling you, I, I've had the privilege of being in a lot of churches, in a lot of churches, and I've been to your church, and I like I like your church. <laughs> you guys, you guys got a good thing going, and uh, I think maybe maybe some of you don't know you got a good thing going because you're in the middle of it. So you know you're like, well, you know what's uh, what's so good, you know? Hey, listen, trust me, you got a you got a good thing going. There's a real good thing going there, and sometimes you're so close to it, you don't see it, but you you've got a you've got a great thing going there. Um, and in the midst of all of this. Um, believe me, the, the, the word, if I, was a, if I was a prophet, I would tell you to not, to not let all of this stuff crowd everything out, to not let all of this stuff crowd everything out. It's a, it's a mistake. It's a mistake. Uh, keep your eyes on Jesus. Here's what I tell our congregation all the time. I tell them you need to keep your eyes to the sky. Jesus is coming. Keep your eyes to the sky, but keep your feet on the ground. Keep your feet on the ground. Be steady, be solid. And I tell you what, you know, you've got some good teaching there. I mean, they, can you, you hang around there long enough, they, they're gonna make you solid. They make you a solid believer. So keep your eyes to the sky and keep your feet on the ground, but keep your heart with people. Keep your heart with people. Love people, love one another. Who are we? What's Peter trying to tell us? We're the people of faith, hope, and love. We're the people of faith, hope, and love. And there's nothing that can hurt us. Nothing can hurt us. Not COVID, not demons, 
not life, not death, not things present, not things to come, nothing can harm us. So I'm going to turn it over to Steve. And again, I love being with you guys, even in this virtual way. Um, I'm in Steve's house right now. <laughs> so I love you guys. I, I love I love your church. I love what you're doing. And I'm just so confident that uh, you're gonna you're not only going to make it through COVID, you're gonna you're gonna thrive. You're gonna thrive. So bless you guys. Thanks for letting me be part. I appreciate it. I'm gonna uh, turn this off, or you turn me off. I don't know how it works, but peace, peace. Love you. We can give Joe a hand. Yeah. I'll tell him you. I'll tell him you gave him a hand. You know, he he was just such a, a real, real blessing. And you can imagine getting this for three different messages. And by the last night, um, you know, our hearts are our hearts are tender. And it and uh, 1 Peter 3.15 again says, Always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. And when you have that hope that's within you, you don't have that frantic look on your face. You know, what's interesting about walking around closer to Boston, it starts changing as you get away from Boston. You have these face masks, but you see frantic eyes. And as you get away, like concentric circle from Boston, they get less and less and less frantic. And... Uh, People want to know, they want to know a reason for the hope that you have. And so with, with Joe tenderizing our hearts, and man, we need, we need our hearts to be tenderizing this time. We had a time of sharing last night, and some guys getting up, just raw transparency, just in front of everyone confessing their failings in front of a whole bunch of guys. Now that's masculinity right there. That's, that's what a real man does. And uh, some of the guys got up and they shared from... So what happens when someone, uh, someone gets up and confesses sin... By the way, that's a biblical book of James says, confess your sins to one another. Something really powerful when, get, happens when someone gets up in front of a whole bunch of guys and confesses. This power enters the room because of those courageous men who are willing to do that. And uh, so what, what happens when we do that at these, at these sessions? We're also, we also do it at, at the evening communion services, which I mentioned last week. We're going to start back up again. And, but we give others an opportunity to speak truth into their lives. And a couple of different guys who were encouraging the men who had these failings, and every single man in this room and at that ret retreat has a long history of failings. Some of them just keep it secret, which is a big problem. But for the guys opening up about it, other guys would come up and give them scripture. And so if you go to 2 Peter chapter 1, I won't, I won't be, uh, I have my clock up. By the way, there was another Steve Cole calling him during the sermon. I don't know who it was. It wasn't me. But uh, I know we just have a few minutes. But anytime, anytime I have an excuse to talk about 2 Peter 1, it's, the sermon that I've given any more than any other in the Old Testament is 1 Samuel 27, but the sermon I've given more than any other in the New Testament is 2 Peter chapter 1. 
But a couple of the guys got up to just encourage um, the guys who had just confessed their failings in a bold and courageous way. And, and they, they, uh, they quoted 2 Peter 1.3, which says this. His, meaning God's, divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. I like the New International Version, which I, I grew up on in my faith. It, it says that God has given everything that we need for godliness, for life and godliness. And then he goes on, and again, keep 1 Peter 3.15, Joe's sermons about be prepared to give a defense for the hope that's in you. Why do people come up to someone who is a believer in Christ, who has that hope? How is it that they're living? What's the process of life that they're living which causes someone to go up to them and say, would you please just give me a, 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 a reason for the life that you're living? It's because they're doing this. Second Peter 1, 5. Rather, yeah, one five, which says, but also for this reason, for what reason? Because God's given you everything you need for life and godliness, and for that reason, add to your faith, meaning that salvation faith, that initial seed of faith that God puts in your life as a gift and you believe in what Jesus did for you in his life, his death and resurrection, add to your, that faith, that initial faith that you have, add virtue. And again, I like the new, new international version which says moral excellence. And, 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 and men who are leaders, they're Excellent morally. They, they have moral excellence. Those bold, courageous, masculine things to be is a man who's virtuous, a man who is morally excellent. No, no, come on. It's the women. It's, it, it's the women who go out and live, live morally excellent life. Well, men, the Bible says, as we learn, we become born again. We learn sometimes for the first time. No, men need to be the, the, the leaders in that. And so uh, 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 that, that, that's real masculinity. And, and then it says, and add to your moral excellence knowledge. And, and what's knowledge? It's knowledge of the, of the word of God. And then it says, add to knowledge self-control. I mean, we're men. We don't have self-control. It's the women who have the self-control. No, men who are filled with the Spirit and bold and courageous, they get up and make public uh, confessions of their failings, and then they go with that divine nature, that divine life, and they start training themselves in self-control by the grace of God. They become leaders in self-control. So you go into a family with a godly man leader, and he leads in self-control. And add to self-control, perseverance. A leader perseveres. Add to perseverance, godliness. Now, godliness is what? What is godliness? Here's a good working definition. Godliness is a man or woman or child who brings God into every situation of life. That's godliness. It's not, it's not morality. We've already been there. That's down the food chain. People say, oh, godliness. Oh, that's being virtuous. No, that's the virtuous. Is, that, that's the first ring on the ladder. Godliness is, is, is that, that, that habit of life that brings God into every situation. That's leadership. Add, add godliness to, to godliness, add brotherly kindness. First, Second Peter chapter 1, 7. 
brotherly kindness, the city of brotherly love, Philadelphia, phileos love. The word is affection. Real men are affectionate. They're leaders. And then finally, it says, add to brotherly kindness, love. That's the agape love. There's brotherly love and there's agape love. And the agape love, 1 John says that we learn it supremely by Jesus coming to earth, living a perfect life for us to credit it to our account, to die because the penalty of our sin is death, so he died on our behalf. People nailed him to a cross. The multitude, he said, crucify him, crucify him. He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That's agape love. And he died, he was in a tomb, he rose from the dead and he ascended into heaven, agape love. And so, you start, you you, you get on that life style again, You, you, you get on that train of life adding moral excellence to your faith, adding to your, to, to your moral excellence knowledge, knowledge, self-control, self-control, perseverance, a perseverance, godliness, godliness, brotherly love, brotherly love, agape love, people will say, hey, give me a reason for that countenance you have. You don't have a frantic look on your face during COVID. Give me a reason for it. Because as I, under, I understand, you, you get that face, you get that countenance that, that, that there's peace there, but your face says that a dead man came to life. Give me an explanation for that because I want to believe that, but I can't because that sounds like a fairy tale to me. Give me a defense for that faith that you have because I... I want what you have. And so, what a blessing just to be there this weekend, to be primed by Joe, to have tender hearts, to see uh, men become, you know, get up in front of us as leaders, being raw in their transparency, and then other men being uh, willing to just dump the very verse, 2 Peter 1.3, from, from, from the very book that, that, that Joe shared this, this morning. Actually, it was 1 Peter, but, but in the second Peter, the second book written by Peter. And so with that, the worship team is just going to close us. Be the, the closing worship song will be our final prayer. I'm going to go into that, um, this final prayer with um, a closing prayer, a verbal prayer, but we're going to sing, we're going to worship. There'll be a t- if you'd like prayer, we're going to set up a little couple prayer chairs here, a couple prayer chairs over there. Something's been stirring in your hearts. Maybe you're thinking, man, I'd like to be able to have to give a defense for the hope that is in me. Would you pray for me so that I can do that with confidence and boldness? Or I need to be bold enough to confess my failings. Pray for me that I can do that. That I can be a courageous man, a courageous woman in that way. If you need prayer for that or anything else, you can, there'll be some prayer folks stationed here. Why don't you rise? I'll close us in prayer and then we'll worship. Father, in Jesus' name, I just thank you. Thank you for Joe. I pray that you bless that church, Lord. Pray that you bless it. I pray, Father, that you fill him with the Holy Spirit. 
for this week's messages and next Sunday morning and bless his family, bless his marriage, bless his household, Lord. There's a grandkid living in the house, his home. Bless it, keep him safe. Father, I pray, God, in the name of Jesus, just for us now, that we would be not dope dealers, but hope dealers. And help us, Lord, in this, in this life that, you're, that you've given us where we're adding to our faith moral excellence moral excellence, knowledge to, to knowledge, self-control, self-control, perseverance to perseverance, godliness to godliness, brotherly love, and adding to our brotherly love, agape love, that love that dies. The Apostle Paul says, we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus would be revealed in our mortal body. Yes, Lord, make that be me, us. So that we'll be successful hope dealers, Lord.